two weeks after the stolen steak deal, Dan writes, says, I took Helen eight years old and Brandon five years old to Cloverleaf Mall in Hattiesburg to do a little shopping. As we drove up, we spotted a Peterbilt 18-wheeler parked with a big sign on it that said, Petting Zoo. The kids jumped up in a rush and asked, Daddy, Daddy, can we go? Please, please, can we go? Sure, I said, flipping them each a quarter before walking into Sears. They bolted away, and I felt free to take my time looking around for a scroll saw. A petting zoo consists of a portable fence erected in the mall with about six inches of sawdust and a hundred little furry baby animals of all kinds. Kids pay their money. They stay in the enclosure and trap with the squirmy little creatures while their moms and dads shop. A few minutes later, I turned around and I saw Helen walking along beside me. I was shocked to see she preferred the hardware department to the petting zoo. Recognizing my error, I bent down and asked her what was wrong. She looked up at me with those giant, limpid brown eyes and said, sadly, Well, Daddy, it cost 50 cents, so I gave Brandon my quarter. Then she said the most beautiful thing I ever heard. She repeated the family motto. The family motto is love in action. She had given Brandon her quarter, that, and no one loves cuddly, furry creatures more than Helen. She had watched Sandy take my stake and say, love is action. She had watched both of us do and say, love is action, for years around the house in King's Arrow Ranch. She had heard and seen love is action, and now she had incorporated into her little lifestyle. It had become part of her. What do you think I did? Well, not what you think, I might. As soon as I finished my errands, I took Helen to the petting zoo. We stood by the fence and watched Brandon go crazy petting and feeding the, the animals. Helen stood with her hands and chin resting on the fence just watch, and just watched Brandon. I had 50 cents burning a hole in my pocket, but I never offered it to Helen, and she never asked for it. Because she knew the whole family motto, it's love, not love is action, it's love is sacrificial action. Love always pays a price. Love always costs something. Love is expensive. When you love, benefits accrue to another's account. Love is for you, not for me. Love gives. It doesn't grab. Helen gave her quarter to Brandon and followed, wanted to follow through with her lesson. She knew she had to taste the sacrifice. She wanted to experience that total family motto. Love is sacrificial action. Friends, I want to posit to you today or put out there for you today that Jesus is the ultimate demonstration of God's love to us. When he came to us in Christmas, that was God sending his love in the form of this little child for us to prove that he loves us. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 through 25 tells us the story of the birth of Jesus. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to, Jesus, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken of by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a child, a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Again, this was Emmanuel, God with us, God's love in the body of his son, Jesus. And you may be very familiar with the verse John 3:16 which says for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Friends, this love was demonstrated. It was sacrificially given in Jesus. In today's illustration, a little girl knew the family motto of love is action. And the father said that she was partially right, but she knew what the real motto was. Love is sacrificial action, that love always pays a price, that love always costs something, love is expensive, and when you love, the benefits accrue to someone else's or to another's account. Friends, God so loved the world, and his love has accrued to our account, but it cost him something. It cost him his son, and he proves that he loved you and that he loves me by giving us his most precious gift. He sacrificed his son for you and me. And his, his love for his son and the benefits of his son have credited to our account. See, Christmas is about the birth of God's son, not that the son was created, because he always existed. In fact, John 6, verse 38 through 40 says, For I have come down from heaven, this is Jesus himself saying, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Friends, the benefit of the Son, which we receive by looking and trusting on the Son, is eternity in heaven with God who loved us enough to give, his, give us his Son as a sacrifice. But Jesus says, note here, that he came down from heaven not to do his own will, but to do the Father. His Father's will is for those that he loves, those who look upon the Son to have eternal life. And we receive that benefit because God loves. He gave us Jesus as proof of his love for us. The Father loves you and me. He became our Emmanuel. He became our God with us. You see, sin had separated us from the Father in the very beginning. When you go back to, to the beginning in Genesis and Adam and Eve, and they had this perfect communion with the Father to begin with, but then they get tempted and they, they end up taking part of the, the tree that God had told them not to eat of, which was them not being obedient to God. They had gone against obeying God. And instead, they obeyed their flesh. And so that sin had caused a separation, this great chasm between humanity and God the Father. And throughout the Old Testament, there's many times where, where you see them trying to get to God the Father and where God the Father is giving them ways to be forgiven temporarily through, sacrifice, through the sacrificial system. 
But he was always forgiving them. He was always trying to make things right between humanity and himself. He always made the first move, and then finally he made the move that he had promised in the beginning as well, which was sending his son to reconcile us to himself. You see, because we can't make ourselves right with God. We don't have the, the power or the ability in ourselves to make ourselves, make our flesh obedient to us. So therefore, we can't make it obedient to him. But yet his, his, his love is displayed in the life and the obedience of his son. You see, the son obeyed. The son came to do the will of the father because he loved the father. And because the father loved us, he sent the son the only one that could fully obey the Father. But notice, he wasn't born in the, the nicest of places, was he? Instead, he was born in a stable. We had the, the royal king whose throne, the manger that he was born in, was where cattle ate. He didn't come to the, the religious leaders, to the high-ups, where he probably, he, he had right to, right? He's royal, he's priest, He's king, he's master, he's God, stepping foot on the earth. And instead, he makes his throne the manger where cattle would be eating from. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8 says, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, though he was God in heaven, he crossed the vastness of eternity to become one of us in the flesh of a baby, born to a young unwed woman to show us God's love with no place to lay his head in the beginning, no place to be born in. He was born in a stable, the lowest of places. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, in the second part of it says, Though he was rich, yet for your sake and for my sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you and I become rich. Again, Love benefits others. We have received his richness when we believe in him because God loved us and he gave Jesus for us. Love is sacrificial action. Love always pays a price. Love always costs something. Love is expensive. And when you love, the benefits accrue to another's account. Romans 5, verse 8, 9, and verse 10 and 11 says, But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, we, for if while we were, were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? 
More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. God shows his love while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God. He has reconciled us to himself, saved us by the life of Christ, who was sacrificed for us so that we could be reconciled to God the Father. Again, love a sacrificial action. Love always pays a price, always costs something, is expensive, and benefits accrue to another's account. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 22 says, For in him, speaking of Jesus, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. Because God loves you. Because he loves me so dearly. He's given us his only son to make us, to present us, to the Father, as holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. How many of you wrestle out there today, fighting every day to present yourself as holy before God, to present yourself as righteous before God? How's that working out for you? Even as believers, I know we wrestle with this and we try to try to rein in our fleshly desires, and then we feel like whenever we fail, like we have let God down, and again, we go through that whole thing where God can't love me because I can't do right. I can't be holy. I can't be righteous. I keep failing every day. Friends, this text, Christ's life of obedience and his sacrifice on the cross, God did it for us. Because he loves us, he reconciled us to himself, imparting on us his holiness, Jesus' blamelessness. Our reproach is gone because Jesus did it for us. Jesus is enough. Simply, Jesus is enough to make us righteous and holy before God the Father. There's nothing else that you and I can do to add to it. It's nothing that you and I can do to take away from it. He did it all. That's why when, when he's on the cross, he said, it is finished. He completed the job. Simply, Jesus is enough to prove God's love for us. So I want to encourage you to stop beating yourself up. Stop being so mean and so, so rude to yourself for not measuring up, for not living a holy and perfect, righteous life before God. Because, friends, because he loves you, he's already made you holy and righteous before himself. He has reconciled you, covered you with the righteousness of Christ. When he looks upon us now, he does not see our sin. He sees his son's righteousness for those of us that have accepted him and have believed in him. But a life full of righteousness and holiness 
should be our response, right? In a way. Hear this. Ted Stallard undoubtedly qualifies as one of the least. Turned off by school, very sloppy in appearance, expressionless, unattractive. Even his teacher, Miss Thompson, enjoyed bearing down her red pen as she placed X's beside his many wrong answers. If she had only studied his records more carefully, they read. First grade. Ted shows promise with his work and attitude, but has a poor home situation. Ted could do better. Mother seriously ill. Receives little help from home. Third grade. Ted is a good boy, but too serious. He's a slow learner. His mother died this year. Fourth grade. Ted is very slow, but well-behaved. His father shows no interest whatsoever. Christmas arrived. The children piled elaborately wrapped gifts on the teacher's desk. Ted brought one, too. It was wrapped in brown paper and held together with scotch tape. Miss Thompson opened each gift as the children crowded around to watch. Out of Ted's package fell a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half of the stones missing and a bottle of cheap perfume. The children began to snicker, but she silenced them by splashing some of the perfume on her wrist and letting them smell it. She put the bracelet on, too. At day's end, after the other children had left, Ted came by the teacher's desk and said, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother, and the bracelet looks real pretty on you, too. I'm glad you like my presence. He left. Miss Thompson got down on her knees and asked God to forgive her and to change her attitude. Friends, God showed his love to us by sending his son to be born in a stable, to be unsightly, in this unsightly place, unclean, dirty. And then he hung on a cross, died on a cross for you and I. And then God raised him from the grave to give us a new life because he loves us. Because even though we might have appeared unworthy to others, we are worthy to him. Though we may be unloved by others, we are loved by him. And when we live in response to his love, that's what matters. Our response to his love shall be that we shall love others. And that we should be willing to be sacrificially giving to others as well. No longer shall we be looking at those that don't look like us, don't sound like us, don't act like us. No longer should we, should we look at them with disdain or judgment. We should look at them with love. That's how he looks upon us. While we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, dirty with our sins, he loved us enough to give us Jesus. Jesus is God's love to us. And Jesus told us to love one another to do good to those who even persecute us. He didn't say just love those that look like you, or that smell like you, or that act like you. We are to love the Ted's of the world. The question for you and for me is, has love changed you? Has God's love changed how we live out the days of our lives? As displayed in the story, love can do amazing things things when given for others. The next day, the children were greeted by a reformed teacher. 
one committed to loving each of them, especially the slow ones, especially Ted. Surprisingly, or maybe not so surprisingly, Ted began to show great improvement. He actually caught up with most of the students and even passed a few of them. Time came and went. Miss Thompson heard nothing from Ted for a long time. Then one day she received a note. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know. I'll be graduating second in my class. Love, Ted. Four years later, another note arrived. Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I'll be graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know. The university has not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Ted. And four years later, Dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stallard, M.D. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact. I want you to come and sit where my mother would if she were, if she were alive. You're the only family I have now. Dad died last year. Miss Thompson attended that wedding and sat where Ted's mother would have sat. The compassion she had shown that young man entitled her to that privilege. See, friends, like little, little Helen that we read about earlier, that we heard about earlier, who had heard and seen love is action and had incorporated into her lifestyle. Giving, loving sacrificially, had become part of her. Giving and loving sacrificially should become part of you and I. We've seen God do it. We know he gave his son sacrificially for us. And in response, we should be giving of our own gifts, our own talents, to benefit others around us as well. To be loving and kind and tender-hearted, and being patient with those Ted's of the world. Remember, when you love, the benefits accrue to another account does them good. Love is for you, not for me. Love gives. Friends, I want you to, to remember Jesus is the proof of God's love for you. It's the proof of God's love for me. God gave. He gave his one and only son in the form of a little baby on Christmas night some 2,000 years ago who would eventually die on a cross for us to make us right with the Father, to reconcile us to himself, because he didn't want to be separated from us. You don't want to be separated from the ones you love, right? He loves us. So he wanted to bring us back into the family with him, back into a right relationship with him. So no matter what it is you're going through right now, I want you to know no matter how down on yourself you may be, it's my hope and prayer you know God's love for you. And then maybe you're one of those out there who doesn't wrestle with believing that God loves you. For that, I say hallelujah. So great. If that's the case, then it's my hope for you that you live a life that demonstrates God's love to those around you, especially during Christmas. Because there are a lot of people out there that need to know love. And you and I have the opportunity to love for the benefit of someone else. Remember, love is sacrificial. Love always pays a price. Love costs something.
Love is expensive. But when you love, the benefits accrue to another's account.